Welcome to Desert Island Arcade, a conversation about the video games we love and why we love them. Every episode sees five, maybe six games nominated for the Desert Island Arcade. I'm your host, Anthony Barlow, and with me this week is Emma Speakman. Hi, Emma. Hiya. What's crack-a-lacking? Emma is the self-appointed big boss over at Earthbound Clothing, um, a clothing brand based in Manchester. Yeah. uh, In the UK. In it. We talk, were talking before we started about lockdown projects and things like that. Earthbound's a little bit of a lockdown project, isn't it? It absolutely is a lockdown project. It just kind of exploded out of nowhere, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I graduated and I was like, um, I was like, yeah, crap, I can't get a job because we're in the middle of a lockdown. Like, what do I do? I can make some stuff and put it on the internet, see what happens. And it kind of mm. went from there, pretty much. Yeah, so it does come from sort of upcycling, doesn't it? I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It originally started like as the lockdown got lifted i live i live like in the vicinity of quite a lot of charity shops so it was like thrifting around the charity shops and finding like cool stuff that i can make into cool stuff that people might like so i was like i started upcycling like t-shirts and jackets and making like like gaming and movie and pop culture inspired t-shirts and jackets and stuff and mm. um, and putting it on the internet, hoping that people would like it, and selling them to try and help pay the rent. Um, I mean, talk, talk talk to us about a couple of the a couple of the a couple of the pieces then, a couple of your favourite pieces that you've made, just to give people an idea of what what it is that Earthbound does then. So your, I actually I made one for you for you Christmas, did. right? I'm not wearing it. I your should be wearing is, it. You should be. God damn it! No, no. I'm only kidding. Um, yeah, your one is one of my favourite ones because you know how much I love Metal Gear. So getting to make a Metal Gear jacket for you was fucking sick. So what I did was we got a, a black denim jacket and then I found an old like Metal Gear Solid t-shirt and it had like the text Metal Gear on it and then it had old Snake from Metal Gear 4, like some of his silhouettes. So I cut the patch out, made it fit like the back of the denim jacket. And um, so it was like a bank, a back patch. If you think about like old punk jackets from like back in the day, yeah. like in the seventies, that's yeah. exactly the the vibe. I was going to um, say it comes from like uh, an upcycling sort of DIY. Yeah, like a DIY punk rock kind of vibe. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And um, so it's like that. And then I got a couple of like patches for the front and for the sleeves. Like it's got the Diamond Dogs logo on it and the Foxhound logo on it. And what's the other one? It's got another one on it. The Fox logo. Yeah, it's got the Fox logo got on the other sleeve. Yeah, on the opposite sleeves. It's really, really cool. And yeah, um, we'll do some uh, we'll do some plugs at the end of the episode, and you can check out Earthbound because because uh, they're ace. But you're also creating some new work. You've got um, you've got some some new Yakuza inspired t-shirts and some hoodies. Yeah, I'm so well. excited. Yeah, hoodies are going to be coming. I've not I've not put that into motion yet, but we got I sent the Yakuza inspired t-shirts to print this week. And I've also got the Fallout t-shirt should be here this weekend because I made some Fallout t-shirts. Oh, that's um, amazing. With, like the power armor on. Um, so that that's that's due for turning up. I'm kind of on the verge. I, I run Earthbound out of this flat. Like yeah. this is my this is my home right here. And I'm on the verge of like boxes and boxes and boxes of stock turning up and i have absolutely nowhere to put any of this stock so my, my flight is going to be absolutely insane for a few weeks until hopefully some of it sells we'll, we'll see yeah definitely. <laughs> so with that well, we will get into uh, game number one on your list which is uh, zelda breath of the wild um what i think i think it'll be on a lot of people's lists this game but you know mm-hmm. for you you've obviously said it's a sort of come relatively new to you it's it's the new it's the newest game for lack of a better term mm-hmm. on your on your list what what makes it what makes it the game that you take to a desert island with you i suppose i don't know so 
Breath of the Wild came out, when was it, 2017? Mm-hmm. Something, yeah. something like that a few years ago and when it came out there was a whole big rave about it and everyone was like it's amazing it's amazing and I was like ah whatever it's just Zelda like <laughs> whatever yeah. and then my friend lent it me last year over the lockdown and I thought yeah go on we'll give it a go I've got the time you know we'll just put it in see what happens and like from the moment you start that game it's like nothing you've ever played before in your life like seriously it's absolutely mind-blowing like I probably put 70 hours into it and it felt like five minutes mm. like it's crazy yeah it, it sort of changed what it changed what zelda was definitely um and like you said you know it is one of those story franchises what's your history with with zelda then i've played a whole bunch of zelda games but i wouldn't say i have that nostalgic feeling towards zelda that a lot of people have like they say oh i played it as a kid i played it on the n64 i played it on the game boy growing up i don't kind of have that connection with it Mm. so it's always a franchise that i've played a lot of but i've always been like yeah it's all right but every time i play a zelda game i'm like that's amazing but then i wouldn't ever put it on my favorite franchise list yeah do you know what i mean i mean i think we've already started to see it a little bit but do you think it's going to change open world games Absolutely, absolutely. Because I played, I love Death Stranding, right? Huge Death Stranding fan, loved it, yeah. thought it was fantastic. I, I played Death Stranding before I played Breath of the Wild, but then I played Breath of the Wild last year and I was like, wait, Death Stranding is just Breath of the Wild. <laughs> like it's yeah. the same game. So like, obviously having that realization, I was like, oh, so this is how it's going to be from now on. Like Breath of the Wild came out and has obviously like caused this shift Mm. in like open world games to the point where Hideo Kojima's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to make Breath of the Wild for the PlayStation 4. <laughs> do you think Nintendo can do it? Obviously Breath of the Wild 2 is sort of on the horizon to an extent, maybe, maybe not. Do you think Nintendo can re- you know, sort of recreate that feeling again in a sequel? I think so, yeah. I think they pretty much hit the nail on the head. As long as they kind of, I think as long as they don't change too much and they realise that, okay, we've got this and it really worked let's do more of this. Kind of a bit like how Spider-Man and Miles Morales was. Mm. They were like, oh, we've got this. People loved it. It really works. Let's just do that again, but expand upon what we've already got. As long as they yeah. kind of do that, I think, yeah, there's no reason why they wouldn't. It's an it's an influential game. I mean, and I, it seems clear to me that obviously you're putting it on this list. Might This might be a redundant question, but is it is it the epitome of a modern classic? Yeah, I guess it is. I think the only the only gripe that I have that would kind of deter me from calling it a modern classic would be that it's too perfect. <laughs> <laughs> like usually with a classic, you expect them to be kind of a bit rough and ready and like paving the way for something new. But mm. it's like, it's a perfect, perfect game, like in so many senses of the word. Yeah. So that's the only thing that it would deter me from calling it that. But I think for the things that I, it's, are, are going to come from that piece of work, I think, yeah, it pretty much is, to be honest. Yeah, like, in, in 30 years' time, they're going to remaster it. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, the uh, the first of your games to be uh, inducted, nominated, I don't know what the, the term we're going to use is, uh, <laughs> into, the, um, into, the, into the Desert Island Arcade. And I had this note previously because I assumed this game was going to be on your list and it's totally not. But um, <laughs> uh, we, we, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, your sort of previous, I was to say previous life then, but I suppose you're still... And uh, previous endeavours. Previous, previous endeavours um, as a musician. Yeah. 
and um, I always sort of tell people a little bit about uh, a bit about Ellie's song, the song you wrote about The Last of Us. Yeah, so I wrote a song about The Last of Us about <laughs> nine, eight, nine years ago, was it? Maybe something yeah. like that. Something like that. And I just kind of wrote it as like, oh, I thought I thought it was cool. I, it was something that I did writing songs anyway, like take inspiration from lots of different places. Mm. The Last of Us had come out. I played it, it blew my mind, just like it blew millions of other people's minds at the time. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to write a song. So I wrote a song from the perspective of Ellie and put it on the internet and a lot of people listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. it still comes up every so often um, in my YouTube recommends list. I'm like, oh, does it? Yeah, and I don't know, I, I've seen that's because it's tailored to me and stuff, but especially around the yeah. release of The Last of Us 2. It was I got loads of messages when The Last of Us 2 came out of people like, oh, come back. I've come back to listen to this again because like I saw the opening to The Last of Us 2 and it reminded me of this. That's and super like, cool. When I played that opening to The Last of Us Part 2, I was like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's super strange. It's super, super strange. Yeah. Me and Andy were just looking at each other like, Andy's my uh, partner for yeah. anyone. We were just looking at each other playing it like, what? <laughs> like, what? What is going on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Started drafting lawsuits. Your next game on your list is um, sort of synonymous as one of those. Uh, yeah, everybody, you know, we're talking about video games and music. Everybody remembers the music, um, specific pieces of music from uh, from your next game. So, uh, yeah, why don't you go, and go ahead and tell us what the, uh, the next game on your list is? It is Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, big one. Classic JRPG. Yeah, another one that I uh, I think will be on be on a lot of people's lists. So um, yeah, yeah turn based JRPG. Uh, you know, I think you know the name Cloud Strife is again something synonymous with uh, with video games in general. Now, you know, he's not yeah, just that absolutely. guy. He's not just that guy from Smash Brothers. Um, <laughs> fun fact: This is the first um, Final Fantasy apparently to have a PAL version released. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Yeah, which I thought was oh, I, I didn't thought know was great. It was released in September, uh, September seventh in the USA. Has come out in the January of that year in Japan, and then took until November to make it to the UK and Europe. Mm. So, yeah, localization. It, a lot of story kind of happened a lot like that back in those days. Things weren't instant. Like even when you look at the timeline of like Silent Hill and Resident Evil and lots of other big popular like Japanese games mm. from the time, mm. that seemed to happen quite a lot. Like the staggered release dates. Exactly. I mean, you think about sort of video game spoiler culture now and people getting on the internet and being like, oh, this happens. I mean, we just talked about The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2. Like people getting out there even before the game's coming out and going, this happens, this happens, this happens and absolutely ruining a yeah. game. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit of beauty in the idea that you know, in the in the early nineties, if you weren't that wouldn't looking, happen. <laughs> no, unless you went specifically looking for it, potentially, yeah. that wouldn't have happened. But yeah, um, give us the give us the elevator pitch then on uh, on why Final Fantasy VII makes your list. So I had a I had a good think about lots of JRPGs. I knew I wanted to put a JRPG in there, and I had a lot of thoughts i was thinking about persona 5 at one point and Ooh. i was like no that's too recent too recent i'm not putting that in there and i was like what's a quintessential game that inspired basically the whole genre mm. that everybody who's played it loves and i was thinking and i was thinking, final fantasy 7 isn't even my favorite final fantasy but i was like you know what it's got to be seven because that was kind of like the turning point in the series so to speak yeah when it all went through 
because like before obviously it was six and that was still mm. still like eight bit and all that kind of stuff or 16 bit or whatever it was and i was like yes yeah, it's, it's got to be final fantasy 7 i yeah. gotta put it in there so yeah so so not your not your favorite what is your favorite final fantasy then out of it's the actually world. final fantasy 10 is my favorite one oh, okay okay yeah so kind of like a bit more recent um a little bit more polished i guess but Final Fantasy VII is still one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's obviously had that longevity. It's it's been ported to every console under the sun. You can, you yeah, know, I, I can. I think I can play it on the the phone that I've got the notes on at the moment. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's literally everywhere, and it's it's the one that. And I, mean, I know there's licensing issues and other things that maybe stop the other ones from getting the getting the same treatment. But um, yeah, FF Seven is is everywhere. Like I said, synonymous as a uh, as a game, especially if you were. You know, starting out playing in the in the nineties. Um, this is very nineties, early two thousands. I think it's indicative of sort of when we were when we were growing up and, and playing those sort of early PlayStation games. And like, yeah, absolutely, it, absolutely. Yeah, I'll tell you what's really interesting about Final Fantasy VII for me personally. I only played it for the first time a couple of years ago. I didn't play it in the nineties. Oh, really? So yeah, like I literally only played it when I started streaming on Twitch. People were like, "You've never played Final Fantasy VII. You need to play it." So I was like, "Okay, I'll play it." I streamed it on Twitch. And um, the, the funny thing about it is because my favorite period of time is obviously for gaming is that 90s period when I was yeah. a kid and I was playing them. Yeah. So I played Final Fantasy VII and even though I never played it in the 90s, I got that wave of nostalgia, like like yeah. I had played it in the 90s and I was like, oh, this is just, beautiful. <laughs> just, 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 just basking in the nostalgia. Yeah, 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 definitely. You played a few of the Final Fantasy games on Twitch. You played some of the 16-bit ones on Twitch as well. Yeah. How do you yeah, think yeah. this one holds up? Because obviously you start to get into that polygonal 3D art style that does start to it starts to show its age very easily. Um, mm -hmm. How was it sort of jumping in in a modern time period to look at that game? So here's one thing I learned about myself playing playing the, playing a lot of old games recently, streaming them on Twitch and stuff, is I really love playing old games, like even more so than playing new games. So jumping into it and feeling kind of how maybe awkward it was and how easily you can like manipulate the battle systems and things like that yeah. and like figure out all the little tricks yeah. like with kind of like a modern mind frame and understanding. It was really interesting. I definitely had a different perspective on it than if I would have played it when I was like 10 years old at some point in the 90s. Because I think I probably wouldn't have been able to complete it. Like I probably would have been like, I can't do this. It's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> but like yeah. now I'm like, oh, actually I can mess around with this battle system a little bit, cheat a little bit, and then I've completed the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the... But it's, it's good. It adds yeah. like another layer, like another dynamic to it that I wouldn't have otherwise experienced. Yeah, so. ex exactly. Do you think it's... Obviously you said that a lot of people are telling you, you know, you got to play this. How have you not played this? Is it burdened by its own hype? a little bit absolutely not that's exactly what i thought i thought so many people love this game it's going to be overrated like whatever i'll just play it people want me to play it i'll play it and then i played it and i was like this is actually amazing <laughs> like yeah. why why have i slept on this for like 25 years like this is ridiculous can't believe it took me so long so when like obviously they renounced they announced the remake and the remake came out i was like sold i'm on it let's do it so what you, fantasy hype train all the way. <laughs> yeah, what are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on the remake then? It's my favorite game of last year, definitely. Okay. okay, I haven't actually played the remake yet. 
Um, it's amazing to play it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really I'm, good. I'm kind of in that period now, though, where I'm like, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna give me a, you're gonna give me a PS5 version, though. You're gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna sweeten, yeah, yeah. The, you're gonna sweeten the deal a little bit, but. Um, <laughs> We talked a little bit about the 16, 16 bit games previously, the, the games that preceded this. Uh, Final Fantasy VII was obviously the, the the time that sort of Square jumped to Sony's new console. You know, they, they jumped on the they jumped on the, the new tech hype train. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, a SNES version of the game planned, and it I think, yeah. I think there was a N sixty four port thought about, or like version initially thought about. Isn't it? I mean, it's got. It's, it's a bit crazy that this is now. It's it's so synonymous with like cloud and that whole. As this game specifically is so synonymous with the PlayStation brand. Yeah, it's weird. It's like that '90s kind of like in the '90s, everything seemed so futuristic, and like having the PlayStation, it was like the epitome of like the future. Yeah. Having like these little 3D polygons running around, and like it was kind of that time period. And I think. I think all those Japanese video game companies that released those dope games at that period of time kind of like time stamped that whole period with yeah. like the future tech, even though yeah. now we look back at it, like this is ridiculous. This wasn't the future at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean you look at Japanese video game development now, and obviously it's still it's still thriving, but there's there's that period, you know, sort of around the release of the PlayStation. I mean, where specifically for again for me and you, and this might be a uh, I mean you sort of coming up thing, but I think about Japan. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but it's obviously it's sort of influenced influenced you, and you know because you you a you are a Japanese speaker. Do you yeah. think? Do you think that <laughs> despite not playing Final Fantasy VII back in the day, there's just something about obviously that that era of PlayStation that's influenced your trajectory in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Like five years ago when I told my mum I was going to go and study Japanese at university, my mum was like, what? <laughs> but in my head, I was like, I played bloody Resident Evil and Silent Hill and Pokemon all through the 90s. This makes perfect sense to me. My yeah. mum was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely one of those things. And um, I mean, before we get onto this, I suppose, because um, we could we could talk about the ins and outs of Final Fantasy VII uh, until the cows come home. We will just very, very swiftly uh, induct it into the uh, into the Desert Island Arcade. But we will move quickly to um, to visit in Japan. And you've been, you've been there a couple of times now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've been there a few times. I should be there right now. Oh, should <laughs> you really? Be. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it. It's great. Anyone who's been to Japan will be like, yeah, it's the best place on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> How uh, yeah. much, how much do you think? I mean, we touched on it briefly. How much do you think video games influenced your desire to go to Japan? One hundred percent. I remember being like six years old and opening Nintendo magazine and seeing pictures of the Pokemon Center and being like, "One day!" And then yeah. like flash forward to twenty years, and I'm like at Pokemon Center Tokyo taking pictures. <laughs> With plushies, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah, totally, one hundred percent. If you were to plan a five-stop video game tour of Japan, five places that people need to go if they're a video game fan in Japan, where would you tell them they need to go? I think the obvious one and the most common one that everybody will say will be Akihabara in Tokyo. Yeah. It's like nerd geek culture central. Whether you're into yeah. video game, anime, whatever. That's like the number one stop, but that's the tourist, yeah, like the tourist stop. There's also another place in Tokyo called um Nakano, 
uh, which is kind of more it's where the people who are from Tokyo who live in Tokyo go like mm-hmm. it's more the local spot okay and it's kind of like this little shopping mall but it's all like cute little stalls and like mm. there's a mandarake which is like a like a comic book bookstore kind of thing and mm. um, it's a really good place to get like Japan's secondhand culture is amazing it's like brand new everything yeah is just everything's new. pristine isn't it yeah it's crazy so that's like the best place to go to get like brand new secondhand games effectively or figures or whatever else you're into when I was in I think I was in Nagoya Mm. it's kind of like a cute little I can't remember what the area is called but there was a cute little kind of similar kind of style arcadey thing Mm. and there's like a super potato there the best video game Mm. shop in the world And like a few other like secondhand kind of like cool video game stores. Mm. So there's this place in Nagoya. I wish I could remember what the name is, but I can't. Um, and then Osaka has a lot of stuff like that as well. Mm. But big cities, you you got to expect it in yeah. big cities. So yeah. those are probably probably the, the places I would. What about any of the the sort of offices of these places? You know, the, the, you, is it worth visiting your Segas, your Nintendos, your Konamis, or is it just a photo opportunity for? Uh, for nerdy fans yeah there's nothing you can do there we went we went to nintendo in kyoto we went to the 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 now nintendo offices and we went to the old nintendo offices like the famous yeah. playing mm. card building mm. and there's nothing you can do there you can't go in you can't explore because it's yeah. just an office like people work there like yeah we went and we got we got the obligatory photo yeah it was pretty cool i'm glad that i did it and like yeah. the photo every time i see the photos from there it like brings a smile to my face yeah but yeah there's nothing you can do but yeah. go and get the photo, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You might as well. You, along with your sort of, you studying Japanese, there was a lot of, your studying sort of involved a lot of sort of gothic literature and horror. Was that, am I yeah, right yeah. in saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this... I, studied, I basically studied gothic literature. Okay. Um, I studied Japanese video game narrative and gothic literature. That's the three things that I studied. <laughs> so it's kind of a bit of an odd, I guess a bit of an odd mix. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely a defined career path. Yeah, like really specific stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and of course, you um, through it, you made your own Japanese-inspired horror video game. Yeah, I did. It was amazing. It's one of the things that I've made that I'm the most proud of, like ever. Do you tell us a little bit about it. So yeah, I made a video game using an engine called Twine, and. I did a lot of research, played a lot of Twine games in the process to try and figure out what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to make a bilingual game that people who weren't bilingual could understand. Um, and I knew that I wanted to make a horror game because I think horror is my favorite genre. Mm. I'm not sure. Maybe. It changes every day. Yeah. But I like what horror says and what horror does. So I was mm. like, I'm going to make it a horror game. And I did. That's what I did. <laughs> What's so? How is it? Uh, well, first of all, where can people play it? What's the name of the game? Um, it's called Hepburn Takaishitai, Takaishitai, which is a Japanese play on words. Mm. Um, I published it on what's that website called that I published it on? I don't <laughs> even on, remember. It's been is, that long. Is it on itch.io? Itch. That's what it's on. It's on itch.io. So if you t- if you search the game on there. You'll find it. Cool. Uh, what well, you know, if you know, if anyone is going to play, what's the so what's the what's the structure of the game? Unless it gives too much away. If you think about like Silent Hill meets Resident Evil, <laughs> that's what it's like. Um, it's it's very 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 heavily inspired by Silent Hill, mm. uh, because that's my favorite horror game. Mm-hmm. 
uh, with a little bit of Resident Evil mixed in, a little bit of... I played Visage recently. Yeah. I played Visage this week. I finished playing Visage. And my game is a lot like Visage, even though I'd never previously played it. But they're super duper similar. <laughs> I was playing Visage like, hang on a minute. <laughs> 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 hmm. This is kind of uncanny. <laughs> so we are we are going to get into your, your horror influences. You obviously mentioned, uh, you mentioned both games that are coming up. Spoilers for the list. But uh, game number three is Resident Evil. Just to be clear, we're talking original PlayStation Resident yeah. Evil one. Yeah, that one. Obviously, there's a there's a interesting history with with Resident Evil. I mean, even in its even in its name, I almost feel like it, well, the series wouldn't have taken off in in Western countries had yeah. it not had that name for some for some reason. I think one of the things that make Resident Re, Mage makes Resident Evil so unique is it's that kind of it's. A Western perspective through a Japanese lens. So, yeah. so calling it Resident Evil is so strange. Like, what does that mean? Like, Resident Evil, that's weird, right? Yeah. Like, as a Westerner, that's a weird thing to hear. But because it's through that Japanese lens, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, like, yeah, that makes yeah. total sense now. Yeah. <laughs> but like, Biohazard would just mean is correct. Like, I get why it's called Biohazard. That makes sense. But to kind of put that kind of like, odd Japanese spin on it kind of made it what it was I think so yeah. it definitely worked in the favour I mean it's, it's, it's so odd I mean when you actually think I mean it's such a cool name it's such an evocative mm. name but when you actually drill down and think about it the reason it's called Resident Evil is because it's evil in a residence that's yeah. literally <laughs> like literally the reason and you go yeah, it's so weird <laughs> you're like what it's so obvious and yet the simplest little thing has made it this absolute giant global you know franchise again i know that simon pegg the creator of Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz and that sort of cornetto trilogy movies obviously a really famous actor credits resident evil with the revival of zombies in popular mm. culture um mm. and it's something that's backed up by i found out that george romero um of night of the living dead fame sort of backs that up yeah. as well and basically goes without resident evil and i think he says house of the dead as well there'd mm. just be zombie fiction would not be nearly as popular. Yeah, it seems strange. Love like a good imagine. zombie. Yeah. Like, the more, the more like, stupid and ridiculous, the better as well, right? Like, you want yeah. your zombies to be absurd. Yeah. Like, and Resident Evil does that perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. I mean, is, is that absurdity one of the things that sort of made it, you know, it's one of the things that's made it a cult classic. Absolutely, we can talk about the dialogue and all that. But what makes it what 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 gives it a spot on on the list for you then? I think, even though now I'm an adult and I play that game and I understand the absurdity of it, when I was like eight years old playing that game, it terrified the living daylights out of me, and I never finished it. I didn't finish it until I was a teenager because it scared me too much. And then obviously now I can look back and go, oh my God, that is so stupid. And I just think that whole cycle is just yeah. like quintessential. Like, yeah. it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been no. the same. No, again, again, we talk about, talk about the Wild West. Don't mm. let your eight-year-old play Resident Evil. Um, yeah. <laughs> Trauma, <laughs> like it will mess them up. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it, yeah, it'll make them go and study Gothic horror in Japanese at university. Yeah, uh, it will, <laughs> it will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about talked about the absurdity. One of the things that's like the everlasting 
one of the more one of the more than I'm not going to say more than the title or more than the genre, but the dialogue in that first in that first Resident Evil game is one of the things that stands. It always stands out to me as I think. I will never for, forget. I will never forget hearing Barry Burton say, "You are almost a Jill sandwich." <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> so it's so robotic and so <laughs> brilliant. But that that like what you'd call now like modern sort of memeability of a, of a game like mm. that. I think I think Resident Evil the remake of Resident Evil Two really did a really good job of keeping that absurdity in, and mm. you can see that in the way that the internet treated Mister X, like yeah. with the X don't give it to you meme. I think <laughs> yeah. everybody played up to that, and it kept the ridiculousness. So I think I think even like moving on with remakes and things, they've really like managed to retain what Resident Evil like was and is. Yeah, like. yeah. I mean, we talked about it being uh, being iconic, and you mentioned it briefly there. But what what to you makes it this? What what I mean, obviously, you're choosing you're choosing this game over over all the others and all the remakes and everything like that. What makes Resident Evil one so so iconic? Is is it is it because it's sort of almost the first of its kind? As a game, yes, pretty much. It was the first one that I played, the first of its kind, the first first game I ever experienced that was like that. And when I was thinking about all the other games, including the remakes and everything, because I, I like the remakes, I think they're really good. Mm. I was like, "What's the one that I'd go back to? What's the one that's quintessential?" And I really like Resident Evil Three. Mm. Uh, that's also one that's up there. But Resident Evil One is the one that I've played the most. The one that, yeah, it's just the one that I go back to the most often. Yeah, so I suppose in in this sense, it's the one that you think you could play over and over again if yeah, you were exactly. to be stranded on a desert island that apparently has power and you know arcade cabinets. Arcade cabinets. <laughs> it's a great desert island. I, I definitely want to go there. Um, one of the other things that that's sort of controversial about the Resident Evil series and still remains a point of controversy today is tank controls. Mm. Are you a tank control? Can you defend tank controls? Not at all. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why it's so good, though, isn't it? Though, like, yeah. it's actually stupid. Those controls are ridiculous. Why did they? Yeah. Why? Why did they do that? Yeah. <laughs> why did it's... they invent tank controls? <laughs> but they definitely add to the, they add to the, the sort of how tense it is to play that game. I mean, yeah, even you're just even stuck spinning in a circle while like four zombies slowly creep towards you. Yeah. You're like, if this was a normal game, I'd I'd be like five rooms over by now. <laughs> um, yeah, it is what it's again. It's one of those one of those things like the dialogue that's just a little bit broken that people mm. just seem to absolutely love and still to mm. this day defend as a legitimate way to play Resident Evil. Mm. Like it needs those. Like it needs those tank controls because there is an option, isn't there, in the in the RE two and RE three remakes to play it to play it wrong. Let's just say to play it wrong. You, play you, it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the remakes are a different breed. Like play the remakes however you want, but like yeah, with the originals, they wouldn't have been what they were without that ridiculous control system. A bit like how it wouldn't have been what they were without the pre-rendered backgrounds, like yeah. how they did all that, without the ridiculous zombies and the ridiculous bosses and the dialogue. It kind of, it was lots of little bits that all added together that made like what it yeah. was really, wasn't it? Yeah, in, in, in most, I think in, and I think it, it seems to add up to everything that makes, you know, that makes a cult classic. If you look at you know, it's got that B movie shtick to it, hasn't it? That yeah, yeah, still totally, totally. that holds up, um, and that's something that um, sort of Shinji Mikami, who's the he, again, I'm 
struggling on titles. He's the director of Resident Evil. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he made it. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that sort of carried on through all of his all of his games. Really, that level of ridiculousness of absurdity, whether it's whether it's Devil May Cry or Vanquish or Beautiful Joe or like mm-hmm. I am assuming there's going to be some element of well, I mean it already it, looks pretty ridiculous. Ghostwire Tokyo. Yeah, even with like Evil Within, like Shinji did Evil of course, Within as yeah. well. Evil Within is pretty much exactly the same as Resident Evil as far as I'm concerned that kind of also Evil Within is pretty cool as well because it also kind of plays up to like the video game shtick not just the b-movie horror shtick like it's aware that it's a video game and it does silly things that video games do whereas like Resident Evil didn't do that because it was still kind of new territory back then obviously it's not there's that desire to be there's a desire to be as good as movies whereas now i think video games are more willing to be video games yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah uh but yeah that's so that's yeah game number three into the desert island arcade resident evil i think that's a solid that's a solid pick you've got solid picks so far yeah well i'm the first i'm the first person to do this really aren't i so. that's true yeah that's true yeah yeah you were. like I'm sure a bunch of other people are going to come up with Resident Evil again. <laughs> like, no, oh, pick a different one. <laughs> please, yeah, please, let's talk about something else. But again, I think with um, I think with this this show is that people are going to bring their different perspectives to you know yeah, yeah, your perspective yeah, course, on 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 FF Seven on uh, and on Resident Evil are going to be different to someone that's you know that, that sort of played them at the time or you know I'm not I, I mean in terms of in terms of Resident Evil and your next pick I am. Uh, too much of a scary cat to actually play them <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, even even now. Um, I wanted to touch on Twitch briefly. You talked about playing the Final Fantasy games on Twitch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, horror is big on Twitch. Survival horror games are huge on Twitch. You know, you're you're always getting games now that are made for being Sports played Twitch. in front of an audience. Yeah, stuff like Five Nights at Freddy's and things like yeah. that. But you know, was it was it horror games that brought you into the world of Twitch? What was what was your reason to start Twitch streaming? I had a friend who was doing it, who was like, oh yeah, I've just been like playing some games on Twitch. And I I was like, oh, that's interesting. This was like many, many, many years ago. Mm. And I remember tuning in, it was probably like way back when Twitch was like still pretty new and still pretty mm. fresh, like 10 years ago. Mm. And I remember tuning in and watching some of his streams and it looked like he was having a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, that would be something yeah. that would be interesting doing, but kind of didn't really act on that for a few years. And I can't remember what exactly led me to click stream, but I ended up there somehow <laughs> and like went on this absolute roller coaster. Twitch is an insane platform. It's so cool. Mm. Like it's beyond cool. You just meet people from all over the world who are just like interested in the same stuff as you. It's kind of like, I don't know if you were ever on MySpace back in the yeah. day. It kind of give me used to give me a MySpace vibe. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you'd, you just meet random people, and all of a sudden, you'd be friends with them. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Cool. And yeah, I just ended up on their streaming. I've never thought about it as a, spare time. I've never thought about it as a social platform. To be honest, I think about it as yeah. as almost. And I know that it, you know. I mean, I know from your experience that it that it can be, and from from seeing other people, obviously. But it always feels like, especially when you're looking at some of the bigger streamers. It seems like mm. there is a little bit of a barrier there. It's like, hey, I'm using this to broadcast me and you're watching me. But yeah, I mean, mm. 
as you've said there, there's obviously a community aspect there that's really cool. And Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people gravitated toward Twitch over like the last year with everyone being at home mm. and kind of alone and stuff. Having that platform that's so social where everyone gets together and everyone joins together for a common purpose yeah. from all over the world. I think it was definitely something that a lot of people needed and wanted at that point mm. in time so it's it's been amazing even over the last year i've like spent a lot of time like hanging out with people on That's twitch cool. it's cool yeah. even though i've not been streaming myself yeah. it's still really cool is streaming something you're going to go back to definitely i actually started this week i did a little stream earlier in the week i don't want to sign up to anything too intense because i used to stream like six days a week for eight hours a day and stuff like that so i'm not going to go crazy yeah. intense on it like that but yeah, definitely get in touch with like some some like old Twitch friends and like hang out yeah. again, basically. Cool. That's really cool. Uh, speaking of of old friends, you've talked about this game. You've gone for uh, you've gone for for Silent Hill two in the next one. A game you just described as your favorite horror game of all time. Your favorite game of all time. It's. I think it's probably my favorite game of all time. Okay. I think I I I'm comfortable calling it my favorite game of all time. On the flip side of Resident Evil, I love Resident Evil because it's so absurd mm. and unapologetically absurd. This is so scary and so unapologetically terrifying on so many levels. Mm. It's like the opposite end of the horror spectrum from Resident Evil. Yeah. And even after all the years, I play it and it sends a chill down my spine. <laughs> so it's definitely on there. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's probably my favorite horror story of all time mm. as well. As someone that's that I've delved a little bit into Resident Evil because it's a little bit more absurdist and accessible. Silent Hill is something I've stayed well away from. I know it's iconography, uh, especially that of Silent Hill 2. But what separates Silent Hill as a franchise from its peers? It is it is a horror, like through and through. It's it's designed to terrify the living daylights out of you and not in an absurd way. Yeah. It's designed to turn your brain inside out, show you your deepest, darkest, most fucked up thoughts and put them on show. Like, yeah. it is a scary, scary mm. game. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, that's that oh. seems to be, that that is the pitch for Silent Hill 2, isn't it? It is, it is a manifestation of the of the lead character's sort of thoughts and, you know, inner workings and sort of presenting him with the most disturbing version of the thing he can think of. And that's sort of what you're yeah, battling exactly. against. Um, yeah, like you say, you describe it as the as the best horror game of all time. You said it's influenced your your work in terms of in terms of creating a game. Um, mm -hmm. But where does I don't want to get too negative? But where does it go wrong for Silent Hill? What point does Silent Hill as a franchise just veer off the road? Because at one point, at some point, it does. And I know for a lot of fans, it's in different places. Where where does that where's that line for you? So I love the original three, one, two, the trilogy, fantastic, mm. and I also loved Silent Hill Four. Silent Hill Four is probably my next favorite in the mm. franchise. Um, after that, <laughs> like the thing that made it special, like just vanished yeah. from the game. I think the two PS3 Silent Hill games definitely have good ideas but the execution wasn't silent hill yeah i think the monsters at homecoming were really good but how terrible mm. that game was made like mm. it was just a badly made game mm. kind of like ruined it and then downpour was so boring like which is the one like, which is sorry for interrupting which is the one that gave you like a psych test before you played it is that the oh that was uh shattered memories was that, was i think that, that came out on the Wii. yeah i was gonna say was that the Wii one 
What a weird yeah, platform yeah, yeah, to yeah. put a really odd Silent Hill game on. Because it came. Yeah, it was weird. It did come to other platforms later on, didn't it? But did you play? Yeah, I know it came out. On, it came out on the PSP as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I think it did. Did you play that one? Then is that yeah. is that one in the? Is that is that a recommendation as well? Or I played a bit of it. I've not completed it. I've played a bit of it. It's an odd one. It's an odd one. From what I'm aware, a lot of like original people who love the original Silent Hill games really like that mm. one as well. So I think if you do love the original, it's definitely worth giving a go and forming yeah. your own ideas on it. It didn't stick with me. No. But- you you talked obviously you talked you know you've talked quite quite widely on on why you love Silent Hill two but for anybody that hasn't played it for anybody that is into horror games why would we take something so horrific to a desert island? It's it's the first thing that did what it did, kind of like humbly Mm. it was only ever supposed to be this like little small project by this little small team it was never supposed to be this huge thing and then it just manifested into something far beyond anything that any of those people ever expected and it's just really fucked up (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how else to say it if you like really fucked up stuff you're gonna like sound (laughs) ill (laughs) too if you're a little bit damaged (laughs) this is your game what what, what a statement (laughs) What a statement. <laughs> um, also, I mean, in doing my sort of due diligence and looking at stuff for the game, there also seems to have been like, there's a lot of due care and attention in this game that people that go on. One of the like weird little facts I found out was that uh, Akira Yamaoka, who's the sound designer for the game, apparently recorded a hundred different sounds for the lead character's footsteps, which is just wild. I think... I think everybody who was involved in making kind of like the original Silent Hill trilogy just wanted to make a piece of art. Like they just wanted to make a piece of art in a medium where not many pieces of art had ever been made. And that was their intention. Akira Yamaoka is such like an interesting character as well. Like I went to it, he played a show in Manchester a few years ago and I went to it and it was, yeah, it was interesting (laughs) to say the least. It was like, it was at at What's It, you know, the, the venue across from the Roxy. What's it? What's it used to be called? They used to have Manchester Punk Festival. Oh, wait, uh, the Gorilla. Gorilla, that's what it's called. Yeah, it was like Gorilla. So it was like legit. He was playing like a big stage, but it was so like punk rock at the same time. Yeah. He just like threw this band of people together and nobody really kind of knew what they were playing, but he was like having a great time. He was loving <laughs> so it. Was, it, was so, it was so strange, was, but it was amazing. Was that all original stuff then? Or was it pieces from, from, from the different games he'd worked on? Yeah, both. He played like loads of original tracks. Okay. Played like the classic Silent Hill, like yeah. on the little mandolin. Like oh, yeah. it was, it was super cool. Yeah. It was super cool. That's, yeah, I've got another another odd little fact, which is that the landscape at the start of the game that's shown the, mm. the lake landscape is actually in the UK. It's doing oh, really? doing water lake in Keswick, which I thought no was way. really <laughs> weird. That there was like one odd little, cool. one odd little thing. Hmm. So yeah, si- yeah, Silent Hill Two, a game I will never play. Uh, a game that um, <laughs> I don't blame you. No. So that's Silent Hill Two uh, added to the Desert Island Arcade. Oh, it's such a little bit. We, we talked about you know studying uh, Japanese and, and game creation together, and from that there seems to have been a and you know with the with the Gothic horror introduced there as well, there seems to have been a big influence on. You are at least just a just a, a fandom from you of uh, Junji Ito, 
do you want to do you want to talk to me a little bit about yeah. Junji Ito? Junji Ito's stuff is so messed up. <laughs> Have you ever read any of his stuff? I've read. I've not. I've not. I've not read any of it. Like I've not bought any of it to read, but like it always stands out. It's all these um for anyone that's in fact I'll have you describe it. For anyone that's not seen it, what does what does Junji Ito's artwork, what are the key components of his uh is that other than being completely messed up? It's kind of like this bold black and white style that mm. he like adheres to. But he often plays on like the uncanny, and I think that's what makes Junji Ito's style mm. so recognizable yeah the characters that he kind of paints and like depicts are like average everyday people like you could easily be that person yeah and that's what it kind of plays on his stuff is so instantly recognizable junior's has got this one story it's i think it's called something like the cliff face of aokigahara and it's kind of one of his lesser known stories everyone always talks about like the spiral head woman mm. and stuff like that and those stories are great like they're horrible but they're great yeah. but this one this cliff face story where these people are just drawn to this cliff face and they just walk through this cliff face and turn into these big like long stretched beings something about that story that just absolutely like terrifies the life out of me i have nightmares for days about that story it's so horrible yeah. It's, it's not, yeah. why do i do it to myself i don't know no, no i yeah i yeah well i mean i'd ask you that question about silent hill too but Jumping off that a little bit and sort of playing within the Silent Hill universe just a touch, it was reported that Junji Ito was working on Silent Hills with Kojima. Um, it's not yeah. really, there's no really concrete information that was a thing. There's a few tweets or posts from somewhere that are sort of suggesting that he was working on it. Obviously, we talked about the Silent Hill franchise sort of going off a bit of a cliff and it's not really been seen since. What was the last game in the Silent Hill canon downpour Downpour. i think outside of pt it was downpour do you what do you what's what are your thoughts on on pt i want to let you into a secret i never played pt because at the time it was released i didn't have a playstation so i couldn't play it but i've watched a lot of i've watched it all a thousand times i played a little bit on a friend's playstation Mm. i didn't complete it played a little bit on a friend's playstation it was absolutely terrifying it's terrifying to watch to experience and i think the combination it was kojima del toro and junji ito like it's the three of them that were doing it wasn't it oh you can't pick a better team Like, (laughs) like you just know that's going to be messed up. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, that you know, they're all known in in different ways for creating just some odd, shall we say, uh, mm-hmm. pieces of mm-hmm. art. Um, do you think we'll ever see it properly realized? There were some rumors that Sony were going to Sony were going to basically pilfer Konami's IP library and bring back yeah. Silent Hill, and they were going to bring back Metal Gear. Like they were going to remake Metal Gear, and they're going to bring back Silent Hill. And they're going to give Silent Hills to Kojima. Do you think? I mean, it's obviously a possibility. Anything's possible at the moment. Mm, you know? mm, mm, mm. But do you think it'll actually happen? Or do you think it's a pipe dream? I hope it doesn't happen. Okay. But it could. Who knows? Why do you hope it doesn't happen? Because things become what they are because of what they're not. So PT became this big cult phenomenon because it wasn't like it got canned it got canned like five or six times before it was officially canned the whole konami thing the whole hideo kojima thing Mm. that happened at that time like that's the reason pt became so popular Mm. like 
if it just would have been fine, the game would have been released. I'm sure that the game would have been amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, mm. but it wouldn't have lived the life that it had lived. No. And I think sometimes you need to leave that alone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because it's special in its own right and we don't need to like... Mm. Yeah. We don't need any more. Leave it alone. Yeah. Do you think, <laughs> do you think then, just uh, on the back of that, that Konami's sort of censorship of it, their complete sort of... Remove it from the PlayStation Store. Let's never speak of it again. Let's not make it playable yeah, on the PlayStation that's... Five. Let's like literally yeah. bury it. Is yeah, I, th- I think that's what makes it what it is. Yeah, it like plays into its legend almost. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I have got a PlayStation with PT loaded on it somewhere. Um, Very spicy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, if you ever if you ever do want to want to finish it, I might be able to uh, maybe to dig that out for you. But yeah, that would be sick. I would love to play it. Speaking of spicy, I suppose when we put this list together, you um, you basically put the next game series on uh, on the list. Uh, I, yeah. I I sort of you said it could be any of them, and I I made the choice, and it does jump off our last conversation. Yeah, do you want to tell us what our final core game for uh, for this episode is? Metal Gear Solid. I think talking about Hideo Kojima. <laughs> Like the sun shines out of his ass for the last <laughs> half an hour, or whatever it's been. Of course, Metal Gear Solid was going to end up on this yeah. list. <laughs> um, so I'd, I'd, I'd suggested that we talk about Metal Gear Solid too. But if you want to divert mm. from that, you're more than welcome. Yeah. So I have like a weird relationship with Metal Gear Solid too. When it came out, I fucking hated it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I would eat, like say probably like five years ago, it'd easily be at the bottom of my Metal Gear Solid list. Mm. But now understanding it a little bit better not that i didn't understand it at the time there's a reason why i didn't like it because i remember playing that game when it came out and being like this is just the same game as the first one please don't tell me this is what's happening and then at the end he's like this is the same game as the first one i was like no (laughs) i was like adamant that this is i was like no you did not trick me i knew what was going on so i was like i hate it but now as an adult and i know more about it and i know about like the orwellian nature and like all the things that yeah, like Hideo Kojima called and all stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's a sick game. Yeah, I will pull my hands up. I was wrong. It is. It, uh, <laughs> and what? Yeah, one of my things is I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the revisionist history around Metal Gear Solid Two, and I think that's. I don't, you know, usually revisionist history is in a bad light. I think that's in quite a good way. I'm in a similar boat to you that when I got this game, um, and just to briefly jump back, we talked about release dates before. Um, Metal Gear Solid Two was released in Japan um, after it was released in the US. It was released in the US on November 13th, 2001. Mm. It came out two weeks later in Japan, which meant that the reveal of the game, that Raiden was the main character and not Solid Snake, was actually given at a Japanese preview event on the day that it came out in the US. And that's why Raiden features on the Japanese cover of the game. Mm. Because obviously, in Mm. and in the... Oddly, I think in the UK uh, and Europe and the US, it's just Solid Snake on the cover. What's yeah, weird about that is that it didn't come out in the UK and Europe till March 8th, 2002. Yeah. So like, again, we talked, you know, we talked about spoiler culture and stuff like that before. Obviously, I think at this point, people must have known when that game came out that Solid Snake wasn't the main character. But as someone that didn't yeah. follow gaming media in 2002, but loved that first game, that shock of, wait, what? Yeah. It was like... Yeah. It, <laughs> I remember playing the demo. Did you ever play the demo of it? It's just the opening tanker mission. 
being like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is the best demo I've ever played. Yeah. And then like hearing rumors that, oh, you don't play a snake. You don't play a snake. And then I was like, no, 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 no. I've played the demo. Yeah. You play a snake. Yeah. I've seen the trailer. <laughs> I've played the demo. What, what are you on about? And meanwhile, you definitely me and, like, meanwhile, months earlier, people had played it in the, in the US. I'm like, you don't play yeah. a snake. Yeah. And then when you get it and you're like, oh my God, these people were right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. But yeah, I think, I mean, that, that initial shock of, of not playing a snake. And I think it's one of the, it's one of my favorite video game things. The idea that Kojima and Konami and whoever else was involved decided we're going to think we again it plays into that that orwellian thing again if we're going to make people mm-hmm. think they're getting one thing and and feed them another thing and they're just mm-hmm. going to have to take it because even the mm-hmm. opening of the game has you playing the stick has you playing through that tank of it, that tank of mission and then all of a sudden there's this there's this change and you're you know the idea apparently was to view solid snake from from another perspective mm-hmm. which not mm-hmm. quite sure what perspective he wanted to see Solid Snake from. Because I'm like, I thought he was I thought he was a badass before and I still thought he was a badass as I was playing as someone I didn't think was a badass. Yeah. Like you play that game and you're like, God damn it, he's cool. Yeah. He's cooler than I thought. But, God damn yeah, it. Damn, I wish I was playing as that guy. Years later, of course. Yeah. Um I actually really quite like Raiden as a character. And and like and yeah. I'm not so even talking in a post Metal Gear uh four and Metal Gear rising where he's a super ninja do you think that twist was also one of the things that affected your initial enjoyment of of metal gear solid 2 probably yeah yeah maybe not maybe maybe not being aware of it at the time but now looking back having to players riding and be like why am i playing as this guy when snake's right there and he's being such a badass through the whole game why am i not doing all the badass things snakes do yeah when technically you were doing all the badass things snake yeah. was doing you were doing all the badass things Snake was doing from the first game just again it's just a slightly different character yeah. but like yeah yeah definitely I definitely warmed up to Raiden as the as the games progressed. Like in Metal Gear 4, Raiden was an absolute badass. He stopped his shit. He stopped a boat in Metal Gear 4. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, in in two, he, like, he wasn't he wasn't cool. No, and it's almost but he was cool. But he it wasn't. almost predates and again unintentionally that the thing that we see a lot from from big movie franchises now, where you do see a character progress through different iterations of a story, different story beats, and go. Oh right, this is how he kind of gets to this point. You do start as the, you know, as the, um, as the, as the sort of, you know, as the joke, as the joke effectively. You know, you, you yeah, know, you're yeah. almost immediately when you start playing as Raiden in that game, you're slipping on pigeon shit, and like, yeah, just, and then by the end, you're running around naked, and you're just like, yeah. you, you feel like I, I definitely felt. I mean, looking back, I definitely think I felt that Raiden was a joke. Yeah. And like a little bit of a, a joke at the audience, the audience's expense. At only years later did I sort of come to the realization that it was actually a really, really good move. Uh, it was replaying mm-hmm. the games, um, replaying the HD collection was the first time I, re- I really had replayed that game front to back since playing it on the PlayStation mm-hmm. Two, and was blown away at how much I enjoyed that game. 
Mm. I did it pretty recently as well. I played through the uh, I've played through Manga Two on the HD collection on the Xbox because mm. it's like super optimized yeah. and it plays incredibly. It plays absolutely incredibly. And then, yeah, that was kind of like, I'd watched a bunch of like YouTube, like essays on like, why Metal Gear Solid 2 is the best game of all time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, you're right. I'll go back and I'll play it. And I played it again. And I was like, actually, yeah, this yeah. is actually. When you talk about understanding a game and understanding its story and understanding its themes, like years after you played it, obviously we ask, you know, we're, we're talking about playing playing this game as a, the initially as, as kids and going back and you start to learn about that sort of Orwellian nature of it, the, the idea of sort of post-truth politics and things like that, things that probably yeah. now you would, you'd almost, uh, the world we're, you know, the world we're living in, you'd expect to be in, you know, in games and you do see these like sort of, these, these themes cropping up more and more, but 2002, that is a big sort of, thing to um to throw in there and expect people to understand and expect people to to grasp um hmm. you know he people thought he was crazy do you remember people thought kojima was crazy like i remember reading like the official playstation magazine the official playstation magazine calling him crazy like oh he's wild like this crazy japanese dude and then like flash forward like what 15 20 years and it's like, oh, all that happened. He wasn't crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think that, yeah, that kind of crops up again with with Kojima in, in his sort of astute, and it may all be accidental. And a part of me kind of hopes that it is. I don't really mm. want someone to be that have this. Kojima doesn't say that it is. No, <laughs> I read an interview with him recently when he was talking about Death Stranding because he did the same yeah, thing that's with what Death I was about Stranding. To say, yeah. Like he just did the same thing with Death Stranding, except it was in a much shorter time frame. And he was like, he he did like an interview, and he was like, no, it was all intentional. I knew what was going to happen. I just read the news. I read the news and interpreted the news. And it's like, sure. I mean, <laughs> he does credit. I think he does credit a a newspaper article when he was in the US for sort of the the core idea behind Metal Gear Solid Two. And at one point, apparently, mm-hmm. again doing some reading on this and these things I know back to front about this game. This wasn't one of them. Apparently what is it called? Metal Gear Solid 3. Just. Mm. I've not heard just, that. I didn't know that you said Just that. to mess with people. He wanted to call it Metal Gear Solid. Not just for that, but he wanted the three to represent the three big skyscrapers in New York. And that sort of plays mm-hmm. into the Sons of Liberty name as well. The Statue of Liberty plays in there yeah. as well. But I was like, if he'd released that game, called it Metal Gear Solid 3, changed the lead character midway through, the, not on a quarter of the way through the game. It's, it's already a what moment. It's already a what moment. It would have been even more insane. <laughs> uh, but to, to sort of wrap this up before we do uh, put um, Metal Gear Solid... I guess there's a franchise. I'm gonna let the franchise get in. There is a HD collection. It's got them all in. But we'll put the HD collection yeah, in. Yeah, it counts. Yeah, it it counts. counts. But yeah, Metal Gear Solid Two specifically into the into the Desert Island Arcade. What was it that What was it that brought you into the world of Metal Gear? Obviously, I imagine it's the it's Metal, it's the first Metal Gear Solid game. But like, what mm. What was it? That, you know, what? I suppose the question is, what made you pick that game up and play that game? Because that's again at the time is a for as young as we both were, is such a weird thing to latch onto. Yeah, I think I have a very, very particular reason why I latched onto this okay. game. It's a very unique reason. So this game wasn't mine, it was my brother's. My brother had it on the PlayStation at home. And I was like, oh, there's a new game here. Let's play it. And I played it right. Now, I'm a test tube baby. I don't know who my biological father is. I just know who my mum is. 
I was like made in a little laboratory somewhere. And then I played this game and all of a sudden that was the main character in the game. <laughs> that And I was like, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm not the only one. <laughs> like it was like for my like seven year old brain to like, like all of a sudden comprehend and understand my my own existence in that way was like insane. Yeah, that's it was insane. Yeah. It's like to this day, it like just blows my mind. I'll never, never, ever leave that game or forget that game in any way just because of that. Yeah, that's yeah. Now that yeah, that is a um, that is a unique way of discovering that game. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't think there's ever gonna be I think I'm probably one of the only people to have that experience ever. Like that's just that's a way of thinking about how games can affect people that I've never ever yeah, thought about. And it's one of the reasons that it's one of the reasons that this show exists, I think, is to sort of explore these little things and go, why did you come to this? Why is this on this list? Metal Gear is on this list because it sort of almost explains... It's just that personal connection. Yeah, yeah just like that personal connection that someone can have with a story that can yeah. not just not just have not just have fun. It's not just a fun thing, but it's like... You start to understand yourself better as a yeah. result. Yeah, it explains I mean? a little part of the world the to you. St- yeah, exactly. And that's the gift of stories. That's the amazing thing of stories. Like even outside of because you can as an as a as a person who enjoys writing stories, I in my head have my own manifestation of what this is happening mm. in this story. But the minute you put it in someone else's hands, it's completely different. It's not gonna mean the same thing. Yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things about it. Yeah. Like he obviously wrote this story, made this game, put it out into the world. It ended up in my hands on the other side of the planet. And then all of a sudden I had like manifested my own thought patterns to process and understand. And it was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How, I've got to ask though, how, how much did you think you were then a clone? I'm still absolutely convinced there's like 10 of me. <laughs> like one day I'm going to bump into another me and it's going to be very, very strange. But I'll be like, I knew it. Liquid Emma. I knew it. I knew there was, yeah, I knew there was more than one of me. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I mean, with that, I think that's that's all the reason you would ever need to induct anything into anything. But, um, yeah, with that, Metal Gear Solid... Metal Gear Solid 2, but Metal Gear Solid in general is inducted into the uh, into the Desert Island Arcade. Now, to sort of link all this back to the beginning, we talked about Earthbound and what you've been doing over there. The other day you posted on, uh, on, on Instagram, I think, Instagram, a piece of art you were working on that was sort of inspired by some Yoji Shinkawa art. Yoji Shinkawa is the artist behind all of the iconic Metal Gear Solid concept art and the imagery for the box art. Um, mm-hmm. Like, talk to me about you. You describe him as your favorite artist. Obviously, that's got to be linked to to the, you know to your love of Metal Gear. But what is it about Yoji Shinkawa's art that you love so much? It's it's just that he's got his own style that is instantly recognisable. Mm. You look at a piece of his artwork and you just know that it's Yoji Shinkawa. Yeah. And as someone who... I love drawing and I love art, but I have no like fundamental artistic understanding or anything like that. I just do it because it's fun. Mm. I just like it. And to, to understand the idea that I could, if I stuck at it for a bit and kept going, I could have like my own style in a similar way that he does, or even like Junji Ito, we, we mm. mentioned Junji Ito has his own like iconic yeah. style. I really like the idea of that. 
and I was I don't know what I was doing I was doing something but I was like drawing and I was like okay yeah I want to draw something I want to dissect his work Mm. so in order to do that I'm going to draw one of his pictures effectively so I was messing around with my little tablet app and I sat there I think I think my app told me it took me five hours to draw that snake portrait that I did I sat there and I drew the whole thing line by line and it took me fucking ages but I like drew that and I was like oh okay now I understand a little bit better how he's constructed his artwork and then I applied that and I did it to another one. I did Ocelot as well. Mm. I don't know if yeah, you've seen Yeah, so the Ocelot one, yeah. Yeah, so I applied that to Ocelot and I was like, all right, I understand this a little bit better. And it was more to kind of like, he is my favorite artist and I do love his work, but it was more to kind of understand how to cultivate and curate like a like an artistic style yeah. and learn something along the way. So that's, yeah, yeah that's what I did. Nice. I, just, I just went for it picture yeah. enjoyed it worked some stuff along the yeah. way um and obviously that's it sort of ties in nicely to sort of keeping creative during lockdown i mean that's the part of the reason that this show exists it's the reason that earthbound mm-hmm. exists um mm-hmm. what i mean what how how was keeping creative helped you during this ridiculous period of, of time oh it's kept my head out of out of the world so to speak mm-hmm. Like things have been pretty terrible and keeping creative and keeping busy doing stuff has kind of given me that like outlet to not to think about doing something else and think about doing something positive. Mm. And the, the great thing about Earthbound as well is hopefully I've, I've put some stuff out into the world and hopefully I've inspired some other people to like do something creative as well. Like that's ultimately the point of it. That's ultimately the point of any artistic thing that I endeavor to do these days. So I hope to, get somebody else thinking about like oh maybe i could do something like that too and yeah and like be inspired and to be inspired by other people and inspire other people yeah. effectively because that's what makes the world go round the other thing we like to do on this show is talk about sort of gaps in gaming knowledge and things like that and where we're up to uh, and what the things that you know we might be, you know, we could, like I said, we could talk about Metal Gear forever. You know, you could talk about Silent Hill till the cows come home. What's a gap in your gaming knowledge that you, you almost wish was sort of filled in a little bit? Anything kind of related to Xbox IPs, really. I've played, I've played Halo Reach. Okay. That's the only Halo I've played and I've never played a Gears game. So like those two franchises, especially as someone who I loved Destiny. I played so much Destiny, yeah. like one of my most played games of all time. And then to kind of be like, I've actually never really played Halo. Yeah. Like it's kind of strange when I think about it. Like if I went back and played the Master Chief Collection and played yeah. like through it, I would probably bloody love those games. Yeah. I should go and play them. Yeah. I should take the time. And yeah, I haven't ever played Gears and people talk about Gears, like the story of Gears being just insanely good. So I think anything kind of revolving around Xbox, I'm a bit kind of at a loss yeah, to talk about. I'm with you in this sense, and I think you know this. You know this anyway. I've owned an Xbox for precisely three weeks, uh, mm. um, in the 360 era, and I sold it mm-hmm. again. The <laughs> uh, and that was probably due to lack of funds more than anything, and a stupid reason to buy the Xbox in the first place. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering whether whether that in itself sort of we've talked about your sort of attachment to the a lot of the games there aside from breath of the wild are very like these big playstation iconic franchises yeah is that another sort of generational thing a a growing up thing where 
PlayStation was that big sort of that was a, that was I played games before the PlayStation existed, but PlayStation was the console that really really brought me into uh, into, into gaming, going this is what I want to do. Yeah, is that weird subconscious bias towards Xbox? potentially the reason <laughs> that both me because I'm the same I've never played a Gears game and I've played very minimal Halo is that mm. reason that maybe we've got that knowledge gap because we're just we're subconsciously aligned <laughs> to the PlayStation I think it possibly could be and it's quite unfortunate because we're obviously missing out on some bloody yeah. great games but I think yeah I think it definitely has something to do with it like we got the new Xbox yesterday what's it called the big black tower one yeah, the se- they've all got the same name it's so confusing <laughs> <The> Series X <laughs> we the Series X right we got the Series X yesterday and I set it up and I got the games downloaded for Andy and it was like super exciting I haven't played it <laughs> <laughs> it's just sat there on the side I'm looking at it right now and I'm like probably not going to play it <laughs> but i could i yeah. could download those those yeah. games the only reason i've played it is because i wanted to play the uh the metal gear <laughs> hd collection and i heard that it was like super optimized on the xbox and it is and it plays amazing That's, why would i not yeah. take that and play the master's Chief collection exactly so one of my follow-up questions to this was um what do you think of Xbox's current strategy of, of the of the Game Pass strategy? And is that accessibility to those games, to Gears, to Halo, to their other big franchises, um, is that likely to make you revisit them? Is, is that accessibility going to result in you uh, becoming a Halo fan? I, yeah, I think it is. I think Game Pass in general is absolutely amazing. Mm. It's so cool. Like, it, I think Game Pass is probably going to end up being the future of gaming. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's so sick. Any game that you want, download it. You pay, like, £4 a month. Yeah, like, I'm saving, like, hundreds of pounds. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds every month just mm. because Game Pass exists. Yeah. It's sick. So I'm totally up for playing them. Yeah. 100%. Like, the whole Destiny... Destiny released a bunch of new DLCs that I haven't played yet. Mm. So the whole of Destiny 2 and all the DLCs is on Game Pass. And I know that I can just download it, log into my Bungie account, move my character over, and I can play it all. Yeah. I don't need to buy it. Yeah, that's... It's sick. Like... Yeah, it is. Um, it is the way. It's the one thing that's sort of calling me this generation to be like, you need to buy an Xbox at some point. You need to buy mm-hmm. one, whether it's the Series S or the Series X or whatever, whatever streaming stick they put out there or or anything like that. It's I'm yeah. gonna have to we're gonna have to fill that that knowledge gap because uh, it's it's almost ridiculous not to at this point. There's You've got no excuse. No, I've got no, yeah. We've got no We've excuse. We've got no excuse. We need to do it. So, you know, maybe, maybe if there's a follow-up episode, you'll be like, right, starting off, Halo Combat Evolved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe, 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 we'll maybe it'd be a good Twitch thing for you. Start, maybe, start, yeah, definitely. Start up on Twitch, first Halo plays. Yeah, I know you can stream straight from the Xbox yeah. console as well, so maybe yeah. I should just do it, play Halo. The Xbox knowledge gap, do you think that is just also a preference for eastern design versus western game design because xbox is very western based or typically very western based and obviously almost every game that's on your list of uh, of games is a japanese game <laughs> i think subconsciously maybe it is it's not something that i've thought about good question it's not something that i've thought about but yeah subconsciously it probably is when i think about the kind of games that i like to play mm. especially with jrpgs like I think horror JRPG are probably my mm. two big things, and obviously it's in the title, like Japanese role playing game. Because I've played, I've played your Skyrim's, and I've played your Halo, uh, not Halos, and I've played your Fallout's, and I'm like, yeah, they're all right. But the, but there's clearly, like, clearly something in in 
in the Japanese sensibility that's obviously yeah I don't, I don't quite know what it is maybe that's maybe that's some food for thought yeah. right there yeah like. exactly exactly right well it was fantastic to uh, to have you on on this uh, inaugural episode of uh, of the Desert Island Arcade it means we're <laughs> adding the first games added to the Desert Island Arcade are uh, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild Final Fantasy 7 Resident Evil Silent Hill 2 Metal Gear Solid 2 and then somewhere you've you've got like a supply crate with Pokemon and uh, Minecraft <laughs> being airlifted in. Uh, we talked, you know, we talked about Earthbound and we've talked about that. Tell us where we, uh, where people can find you, where they can find Earthbound, you know, what are your socials? Where do they need to go? You can find me on Twitter at Emma Hallows. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Emma Hallows or you can find Earthbound, which is where I'm much more active uh, at Earthbound Clothing on Instagram. You can also check out earthboundcult.com. I, that's my web store, but I also write a little blog over there and put like other stuff that I create up there as well. Cool. Um, so you can check me out at earthboundcult.com. Fantastic. That's where I am. Uh, yeah, and similarly, if you want to follow me, I'm at Aunt Barlow on Twitter. You can read words that I write at jump-roll.com and you can actually follow the podcast at Arcade Desert on Twitter. So... Uh, yeah if you want to do that that'd be great thanks for joining us for this episode thanks Emma for coming on and uh, thank you for having being me being the guinea pig and um, yeah <laughs> we'll uh, see you later